I can remember my sisters trying to teach us how to, to disco, right? And in a couple of years later, someone's teaching me to slam dance. So instead of learning disco moves, you didn't have to learn anything. You just had the guts to go in there. I'm Nick Harcourt, and this is The Sound of Success, a podcast about the music that has shaped the lives of the money, business, and tech world's most fascinating people. Join us each week as we hear about the songs and bands that left their imprint on the folks who shape finance. I'm Nick Harcourt. Welcome to another episode of The Sound of Success podcast, where we talk with movers and shakers in the financial world about music. On this episode, we welcome Drew Voros, who is editor-in-chief of ETF.com, supervising the full suite of publications, newsletters, and websites, including ETF.com and the ETF Report. He's got nearly 30 years' experience in financial journalism, including serving in his current role since 2012 and as the longest business editor for the Oakland Tribune and sister papers of the Bay Area News Group and one-time finance writer for the Hollywood trade publication Variety, where he also reviewed live music. Drew, it's a pleasure to see you. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Nick. Pleasure to see you again. I want to say that you're one of the best interviewers I've seen. Doesn't matter music, finance. You do it very smoothly. Never have any notes. So I'm a little nervous <laughs> well, getting under your thank radar you. here. I'm, 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 it's all downhill from here now that you've paid me that huge compliment. I do appreciate it. <laughs> Before we get around to talking about music, tell us a little bit first of all about ETF.com what you do, and what is happening in your world right now. For, for those not in the finance world, I'll just say e- ETFs are exchange-traded funds. They're much like mutual funds. You probably own them, and you, you may not even know them. Um, but they are, they are traded, and they're really the, the financial vehicle people are investing in today. Every, every asset class is covered. And at ETF.com, we cover all those products. Some 2,500 ETFs are on the market. We cover the economy. We cover the financial markets and how it affects investments. So we're really trying to help investors and advisors make the right pick when it comes to ETFs, getting the best for their money, the best bang for their their buck. And what I do is I help run the entire company. And I also have been uh, editor-in-chief for almost 10 years now, running our publications, our newsletters, obviously our website. We also have our own multimedia. We have podcasts uh, as well. So it's a what we hope to be is a, a media organization that keeps growing and growing. And I think it's a, a helpful thing for people. We're not trying to sell anything. We consider ourselves journalists. And how is the ETF world right now? The ETF world couldn't be healthier or fatter, frankly, at a record year of new uh, assets. And what that means is new money coming into ETFs. People are investing in everything from the S&P 500 to, to the airlines industry through one ETF. One's called Jets, where if you want to Make a bet on the airline industry. You just buy one ETF, not trying to figure out what airline there is. And we're seeing it all across asset classes. And most people realize the markets right now are at all-time highs. The economy is reopening. I think people feel pretty good about the economy overall. In the U.S., the global economy is having it's certainly having problems and not as successful with COVID right now. But the financial world is really healthy right now. And hopefully that trickles down to the rest of the world. But, you know, markets are for capital and so people are raising capital like never before. It's going back into the economy. People want to say that, you know, Wall Street's just taking money and running. They're not. They're investing. We're seeing all these great things coming out in tech, in bio. I mean, look what we just came up with in terms of COVID and, and a vaccine. So capital markets are working. They're creating a better world for us. And hopefully people are also benefiting in their uh, private investments and their businesses, too. 
Well, that's a great intro to the world of ETFs for people who are not familiar, so we appreciate that, Drew. Thank you. Let's talk a little bit about something else. Let's talk about music. Now, you and I met uh, for the first time officially a couple of months ago at the ETF.com Awards when you came into L.A. and I helped you host the awards from the Hotel Cafe, and we started to talk a little bit about music at the time, so I'm really intrigued to see how you're going to do with our little sort of Proust questionnaire on, on this. Why don't we talk, first of all, about your introduction? to music and your own musical journey. What's your first music memory? I think my first uh, music memory when my parents had one of those big stereo, wooden stereos, uh, and it was Jose Feliciano singing. My, my mother loved him. Um, so I, and she also played guitar. So that was sort of it. And then uh, I had older sisters that were into the Beatles, older sisters and brothers were into the Beatles, etc. cetera. Uh, but my first album I bought was Hotel California. And that really, it really kind of entranced me because it wasn't just songs. It was a story. And, and um, I really kind of fell in love with music there. And then kind of veered into, this is at the time, late seventies and going into early eighties, I really got influenced by the doors. Um, and I was, you know, at the time, it wasn't that far removed. Today, it's 30, 40 years. And they had just get, sort of had a revival after the death of Morrison in, I believe, 73. Um, it became a big band um, that wasn't around anymore. And that, that just spawned my interest that there was all kinds of different music out there. Um, my sister was listening to Bob Marley at the time and Led Zeppelin. My brother was listening to the Beatles. So having brothers and sisters and, and picking up music that they were listening to, um, it was a big influence as well because we didn't have the internet had very limited radio i lived in sort of a rural area in pennsylvania so i, I didn't have you know at my fingertips some of the music um possibilities coming at me that certainly today or back in the day it was really who you knew what you might have heard say from someone else there was teen beat or there were some magazines and rolling stone at the time uh, but i wasn't in tune to that kind of thing so i kind of had to bump into it um, and the only reason I bumped into Hotel California, because I was, I believe, at a Kmart, had some money, wanted to buy an album. And, you know, the cover was awesome of California. And, you know, everything from the cover to the end of the song all made sense to me. And I, I think I listened to that thing every day for months. It's interesting when you look back on uh, uh, albums, uh, of course. Um, uh, we listen to music very differently today with uh, streaming mm -hmm. options and just songs rather than albums. But uh, in, in our generation, I guess, and uh, maybe one or two after us as well, uh, when you were able to listen to albums, it, it wasn't just buying the music, was it? It was buying the artwork as well. It was buying the whole package. Talk a little bit about that. You mentioned that the cover of Hotel California got you, but talk a little bit about your experience of collecting vinyl when you first started listening to music. Sure. Well, well, it wasn't just the cover, right? The cover was as, a, as any book, right? You don't want to judge the cover by the book, but you do, and it's a good cover. But what, what surprised me, I think, with my first album was all the information about the band inside the album, the liner notes. You know, you, it was like a baseball card, and I collected baseball cards at the time. And so there was all this information, and then you, you know, I didn't have a TV in my room. I had a turntable. So you put the turntable on, you play the music, and you stared at the at the album, and you stared at the liner notes, and you read it. You would do that over and over, and so it made you conversant into that band. So you knew who the names were, you knew where this and that. And then when I got into the Doors, the thing about an album that blew me away, I can't remember. I think it was a Doors Live, and it's a pretty violent song at the beginning about Jim Morrison petitioning the Lord with prayer. It's a live album, and it which it felt like I was at a concert, and I had never experienced a live album like that. And you could hear people screaming and yelling. And again, I was entranced with this. This was sort of like TV for me. 
and nobody bothered me. I kept it low, or I had headphones, believe it or not, back then, too. But it was sort of a world I could go escape to. And, you know, to that to this day, I look back at kind of grateful that that's all I had at the time, you know. And you could only afford one album because you only got one ride to Kmart once every couple of weeks. And then you bought one and you listened to it over and over. And maybe you tried to find something on the radio. And then I started doing that. I had a uh, – my dad was really into, you know, radios and whatnot. And I f- he gave me a radio one time and I started playing around. And I ended up finding – I was in Pennsylvania at the time. But I was picking up channels in Ohio and New York, and it was only at night for some reason. You probably know better than me, but on FM radio, I could get some channels at night. And so I was starting to stay up in my room. Nobody knew, right? I was just listening to music. And um, no, sorry, I started hearing you know Lou Reed and, and some of the New York bands. And then I really got into punk, frankly. A lot of that had to do with the Sex Pistols and this whole new movement that came out of nowhere. And everybody hated it, which made me like it, I guess. Let's come back and talk about that in in a moment. But I want to go back to something you were saying a moment ago about listening to a live album. And it sort of connects into my next question, which was, what was your first concert? Well, my first concert was The Police. Um, And this kid named Tom Petty opened for him. And basically almost got booed off the stage because he came in. Tom Petty came in, just pretty much him and a guitar. And people were waiting for the police. And they were huge at the time. And I had heard of Tom Petty, and I think Heartbreaker was a song out at the time. But I, you know, I felt sorry for him. <laughs> and today I look back and I think, man, that guy, you know, he gutted it out. This is in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And they basically boot him off the stage. And, and at the time, I was really felt bad for him. I found out, well, that happens all the time. Man, I said, that's a tough way to make a living. And then, of course, the police come out and the place went nuts. And it was, you know, a stupendous show. So that that was sort of, you know... I had to go do that again. And so then I started and started, you know, once I got 16 and drive and had friends, we started going down toward the University of Pittsburgh and Carnegie Mellon University where some clubs. And you could see 18 and over clubs and get in. They weren't really checking IDs like they do today. And we saw bands here and there. In fact, I saw REM right as they were coming out. And, and so that, it was fun now to realize that, like, I used to go to football games with my dad. I used to go to Steeler games. Now I could go with my friends to go see these bands I was hearing on the radio. And I know that seems kind of antiquated today, but at the time, man, that was just eye-opening. That I could, I had this album, and I could go see this band that was coming to my town. So that was really my hobby as a kid. I love sports, but you know, music was, and my brothers and sisters were all into it too. So that was really important to have that around me and have music around. So I didn't feel like I was an outcast in my family because I was listening to the Doors. I have to say, my dad did not like the Doors. He loved the Beatles because the Doors was a screaming madman. And I'm sure he had read about him at the time, mm-hmm. but he let me listen to him. He just didn't want to hear it. He didn't want it loud. And that seemed like a fair trade off at the time. So it's interesting you talk about the early music you were into uh, was what we now call classic rock, obviously. Uh, in the 70s, it was being made then. But now, all sure. these years later, it fits into the classic rock format. Tom Petty, who you said opened up for the police at the time, was considered a new wave artist. Although he was. You know, perhaps not opening for, for the police. Talk a little bit about that shift in music for you, that time when things went from the music that you'd heard originally from brothers and, and, and sisters, what we now think of as classic rock, to the Sex Pistols who just sort of kicked the doors down and allowed this whole new wave of, of music to, to come through, punk originally, obviously, and then new wave bands like uh, the police who probably straddled that a little bit. I had to get introduced to it. Right. So well, that was always the hard part for me because of where I was at. And when Tom Petty came along, you're right. He was considered new wave at the time. And I think that's my why I felt sorry for him because I wanted to see what this guy was about. And I didn't really get to see him. 
but you know, there's the time of Elvis Costello too. But Elvis Costello also kind of dipped back into, you know, he wasn't really punky, but he he was a rebel. And then I think I saw the Sex Pistols on TV news. They were coming to America or something, and I, I saw them, and I was like, "Holy cow! What is this all about?" So I really started looking to find out what this is about. And I was telling you, I could find New York radio stations. I, I started hearing the Ramones, and then I, I, I started reading about the Ramones. I'm like, "This is like nothing I've ever seen or heard before." And my friends and I started really getting into this. And this was something that no, you know, my brothers and sisters didn't know about. Uh, and then when they started seeing punk, they were like, "This is garbage." And, you know, and they had the same reactions as my parents did. <laughs> and we were like, well, there's some, there's something here. And it, it was because it was something so different. And at the, you know, when you're a teenager, you know, it was our rebel thing. It was our rebel soundtrack. Um, and I remember at our high school prom, we wanted to hire a punk band called Car Sickness. Uh, and the administration was like, there's no way. There's absolutely, and we had stocked our, the social board because we wanted we wanted to put a punk band on for a prom and they wouldn't do it and i always thought to myself what you know come on man um but looking back i can see we're parents back in the day when sex pistols are running around the country and a band called car sickness is coming to school you know i think calmer heads prevailed probably yeah it's funny when you look back on that stuff now obviously i was a teenager almost young man when the sex pistols came out and in the uk they just horrified everybody it was certainly lock up <laughs> not just your daughters but lock up your, lock up anything that you, that you care about because the sex pistols are, are, are around but at the same time they as i mentioned earlier on sort of kicked the doors open for a whole bunch of new music that came through in the late 70s and into the 80s let me ask you about dancing I'm presuming that as a guy who went to see bands like The Police, you like to dance a little bit. What are the albums or artists that you uh, return to when when you feel like dancing? Well, I, I think punk obviously was a reaction toward disco. So when I was sort of in grade school, you were inundated with disco. Um, and disco was cool at the time. And, you know, John Travolta, right? And Saturday Night Light Fever. Uh, so it was very cool to be that. And then it suddenly was very uncool to be. So in that, again, I think the dancing to disco dance, I can remember my sisters trying to teach us how to, to disco. Right. And in a couple of years later, someone's teaching me to slam dance. Right. So from the music to the dancing, there's a complete rebel against it. And instead of learning disco moves, you didn't have to learn anything. You just had the guts to go in there. Um, and again, that made no sense to my brothers and sisters. It made no sense to my parents. But fortunately, they gave me the freedom. Don't get arrested was pretty much the bottom line. It was fun. It was thrilling. And it was something that, I, to be honest, at the time, I thought it would go away. I, I, I didn't see punk lasting. I thought, I thought you know, people are going to hate this thing to death, literally. And today, you know, the Ramones, I can't imagine what these punk catalogs are worth anymore, right? The Pistols, the Ramones. I mean, it's just amazing what they were building in a short time. And the resistance they found from every corner. And then today... You know, other people that you've interviewed, uh, I know Eric Balkunas and there's others that, you know, those are the people we grew up on. And I think a lot of us have still keep a little bit of rebelness into us, because uh, if you have to look back on your life and you think about those days, you know, we were standing out a little bit. We were taking a little bit of a stance. We were told to take certain T-shirts off at school, but we knew we were going to do that. We wanted to see if the, we could get away with it. We usually couldn't. Uh, but those were times that was the way we tried to be a rebel without a cause. And 
we had a soundtrack with it. So when I'm talking about dancing, I'm just realizing by your answer, there's there's different ways to dance, obviously, you know, whether it's uh, doing a disco dance or whether it's pogoing at a, a punk show or something. But is there any record that if you want to move your feet, if you want to bop around when nobody's looking that you put on? I would say Michael Jackson. My My wife loves Michael Jackson. So certainly, you know, back when we were dating back in the you know, mid eighties and was at a height. All his music was very danceable too. Um, and my wife liked it. And so, you know, at the time I I would say that would be, you know, if I had to go back and think of some of the, the good times I had dancing, there's some certain Michael Jackson songs for sure. Um, that would be up there, but also, um, you know, you're going to clubs, going to clubs and dancing at clubs because you're trying to meet people and dancing in your room are two different things. And then club music and going to a club kind of introduced the whole, different idea to me on a different level than going to a pub club with my my friends in high school because again it was what kind of club are you going to and la at the time had all kinds of different clubs uh, and some of them melded it all together Um, so it was fun just to be able to go to the clubs in la back then and have that different music and see people dancing differently uh, and just realizing again a whole different tangent to music that that i didn't really understand when i was younger but really enjoyed as i went along and then you know, falling into writing music just seemed very simple. Um, if I could get, you know, if I could get not so much a chance, but just get taught how to do it. Because uh, I read Rolling Stone all the time. And I think I've told you, I've, I've watched almost all your guitar sessions. I, I love hearing about uh, the rock music world. Because again, I still am fascinated by it. <laughs> it seems total freedom. I mean, what a life, right? As tough as it is. And I always find it interesting how different everybody is in music. So again, you know, the, the variety of everything in music always stands out to me. I, I'm lucky that I was exposed to it. So little Michael Jackson, when you want to dance, what about when you're feeling perhaps a little melancholy? Are there any artists that you return to or any artists that you would like to share with us when you're feeling like you just sort of need to sit down and just uh, feel what's going on in the world? Well, I'll go back to uh, somebody I discovered writing music, and that was Stevie Ray Vaughan. Because it was a different sound, a, a whole different, a different way of feeling. There was happy, there was sad, and all came through a guitar in this guy's way of music that just really relaxed me in a way that I had never seen before. Uh, actually, that kind of led me to Clapton, and the same with Clapton. I find him very relaxing at times, just listening to his music. And so getting into that kind of guitar mode, maybe that comes from back from my days, you know, listening as a very small child to Jose Feliciano, just that the sound of a mellow guitar and, you know, my mother listening to it, maybe there's something to that. I don't know. You know, when I was listening to you talking uh, about some of the early music that you uh, were listening to, as, as we've said, you know, like the Doors and uh, the, the Eagles, and then working your way through some of the punk stuff into, into the new wave stuff. And then you were reviewing music when you were in Los Angeles. And that sort of brings me to a question that I get asked a lot because of what I do for a living. Do you have a favorite artist that never quite made it? Maybe somebody you went to see or somebody who, a song you heard and you're like, oh man, this, this band or this guy, this, this chick are going to be huge. Anybody that you've sort of loved that didn't quite break through? Well, I do, but they ended up breaking through later. Back at the time, and I don't know, I don't know if this is what you mean, but I always thought at the time, Jane's Addiction. They, I reviewed them at the Hollywood Bowl in 1989. It was one of the best concerts I've ever seen. They did 10 straight days at the Hollywood Bowl. 
10 straight sellouts. And the Hollywood Bowl holds, you probably know better than I. I mean, they could have gone and done the forum. 18,000, something like that. 18,000? It was incredible how many. I I think they did five shows in 10 days. I take that. They didn't do 10 in a row. But they did a string of dates there. And that was at the peak. And and, and about a year later, they, they, I believe they broke up. um, And there's lots of reasons for why. Um, And then shortly after, Nirvana hit. And then all the grunge came. And I always remember, but hey, you know, Jane's Addiction was pretty good. It's too bad they can't get in on this. And later they did. But that was one band. And I remember being um, the gentleman that gave me a break at Variety. I had wrote, this is this is going to be one of the biggest bands ever. And he said, we don't do that here. You know, that I'd never heard of this band. I mean, we're not going to put that in there. And I really argued for it. And, you know, it toned it down a little bit to a breakthrough band. Because Variety was, you know, they were very careful about how they complimented. Um, they didn't just throw it out. Same with, you know, criticizing people. Um, they were, they were very careful about it. Um, but so in, in that, in that respect, uh, I always look back and think that, that band could have been even bigger. Um, and I also got going back to the guitar. I always liked, uh, Robert Cray. Robert Cray was again, a sort of a different music for me. Uh, and he seemed to kind of be riding the tail of Stevie Ray Vaughan and Clapton at the time. But again, I always thought he came across almost as, dynamic and energetic and creative Stevie right up there. But he was, he was somebody that I, I got to review twice actually, um, and really enjoyed his concerts and the way he performed on stage. Yeah. Very successful in his world and the blues world, perhaps not a major crossover artist, but he's had a very successful mm-hmm. career. How do you listen to music now? I'm going to ask you if you've got any discoveries that you might want to share with us. Uh, how, how do you find new music today? Well, that's a great question, Nick, because I had been a very frustrated music listener over the years. I loved the CD when it came out because I had so many albums that got beat up and whatnot, and then to have a CD that was you know, crystal clear all the time. Um, but that eventually went away. And as you mentioned about an album, you just don't listen to albums anymore. At least I don't unless I find an old album. And the way I listen to it and come across things now, and I love Amazon music. Um, I never thought I would you know, use Amazon for music, but they have a really good service. Uh, better than Pandora, in my opinion. And it's based on a lot of different algos, obviously, what you purchase and you know what you listen to. But they pop up bands to me uh, a lot of times that you've heard of, but maybe I haven't heard of before. And I'll give you a, a recent discovery for me, and I'd heard of them, but really never listened to them. I'm like, I can't believe I missed this band, and that was Morphine. And it, again, it goes back to that sort of different sound I'd never heard before. You know, three-person band, a bass, a tenor sax, and a drum. And so I had never heard of this bef- this band before, and it popped up on my thing. I was like, what is this? Oh, I've heard of them. And Started listening to them. I got their album, uh, Cure for Pain. I'm like, this is a great album. I would have never found this. So it almost reminds me of back me, you know, when I had my brothers and sisters, I'd hear music or they would be talking about it. It was the only way I could find it if I kind of bumped into it. Um, and today, in terms of new music, I mean, I, I don't want to sound like an old fogey, but I have a really hard time finding new music that really turns me on mm. in a full rock and roll sense. I love the Black Keys, but, you know, I don't hear them anymore. And so, you know, I love Kings of Leon. I just don't see any sustained rock and roll bands out there as much anymore. And, and maybe I'm just missing them. But um, I have a hard time finding good new music. But I don't seem to have trouble finding bands that maybe I overlooked over the years. Another one I just recently discovered is uh, Yola Tango. Again, it's a totally different type of sound that I wasn't used to. A great guitar, great songwriting, and just creation. So th- these little bands are popping up that maybe I overlooked before. 
Um, and I really credit you know the streaming services to having this base of music. And I know artists are frustrated with these streaming services in terms of royalties, but I ended up buying Cure for Pain and I ended up buying some pavement and things like that. So I, I think the service is almost hooks you to wanting to go buy the album. And so that's what I find. I find these songs pop up and then I go, you know, if I don't buy the album, I listen to the album on stream. So I'm kind of fishing out there, to be honest, Nick. Um, and I'm trying to find things. And whenever I hear somebody or somebody, you know, it's so easy to find music now. So if you get a tip, you can find it, and listen to it. If you want more, it's just a, a Trevor Trove. You can find everything you need now online. And what a beauty, beautiful thing that is. Well, there, there is no doubt that there is uh, more music available and being consumed than at any time ever in history, thanks to uh, streaming service. And as you said, there are some issues with the streaming services and how they pay. Uh, royalties to to the artists but there is no doubt that uh, you have access to so much more music than uh, you ever did before and as you mentioned you just found a band that were making music in boston 25 years ago with with morphine and you found them by uh, by streaming i think that's fantastic yep. um I, I would say by the way to to you and anybody else who's listening if you are listening looking for for new music uh, I, I have a playlist on spotify which is probably not going to work for you drew but it's the Spark Radio New Music New Artist playlist, and every week we put about seven or eight, ten new songs on that. To and it. Check it awesome. out sometime. All right, so I we've will. got two more questions before we bounce out of here, and uh, please do excuse me. It's a recycling day outside of my house right now. If you hear any background noises, do you have a guilty pleasure musically? Something that perhaps you wouldn't share with anybody, but you're going to share with us right now on Sound of Success. Boy, um, I would have to say this is going to sound very odd. But Chopin, I've never really been into classical music. And just over the last 10 years or so, I, I really enjoy the piano. And I started hearing some Chopin. And that has been something that I have that on my, my phone that I'll listen to that I, I, I don't know anything about classical music. But there's something about, you know, not necessarily if he's playing, but certainly I, if I can find his recordings, I just hear something that I've just never heard before. Um, and even though it's a piano and I've heard piano, I just get entranced by it. So, so definitely that would be, be one of them. And, and maybe another one would be, um, and maybe this came from some of the variety days is just old TV soundtracks are fun. I remember actually we met back in Florida, not just last month, but a couple of years ago with the, uh, at Quincy Jones back in yeah. ETFs, you were interviewing Quincy Jones and I was and one of my favorite soundtracks of all time was Ironside. Mm. And I never knew Quincy Jones had done that. <laughs> and I went and started looking for the TV soundtracks that Quincy Jones had done. And there's a lot of them. <laughs> and and so I would say, uh, and, and people at Variety used to always talk about musical soundtracks and, and movie soundtracks. Uh, but there's a lot of interesting music uh, back, in, especially the 60s and 70s soundtracks. Um, you know, the use of synthesizers, the use of guitars and TV soundtracks. So I would say, you know, Chopin and maybe some TV soundtracks back in the day are, are just fun, fun. But I wouldn't go around talking to my friends about it. That's interesting. You know, I have an 18-year-old son who's just uh, finding classical music as well. I don't know if he'll stick with it. But every now and then, you know, I find myself going back to like uh, the Four Seasons or something. Obviously not Chopin. Who, who's the Four Seasons? Mm -hmm. Vivaldi. Um, but yeah, that's fascinating. So we are just about done, Drew. I got one more question, which I like to ask at the end of these conversations, just to sort of check in with people. As we're recording this, it's the week before we're actually going to drop it. It's a Friday afternoon here in Southern California. Uh, you've just talked to me for 30 minutes about music. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. 
I don't get to talk about this anymore. So whether you're we doing this for a podcast or we're having a drink down in Hollywood, I think the conversation would be exactly the same. And that's one of the fun things about music. And you have to find the right people to talk music with, right? Or you get people immediately like, oh, I hate that band. It's like, well, I guess that's the end of this conversation. Um, or instead of saying, <laughs> why do you like that band for? Right. So it's fun to talk to people. And my best friends in high school, we were very, we were all music nuts. And so, you know, we'd get, a, we'd share our albums and we'd share our magazines, we'd share our Rolling Stones. So to me, uh, it, it's, it's a social life. Uh, and it's a social life that frankly, um, I miss. And I'm really looking forward to some of the venues opening up. Um, because I really thought last year, what if music was gone? You know, that the idea that I had these chances over the last couple of years to see what other reverence, ah, I don't want to go right. I don't want to go right now, but certainly whoever comes around, I'm definitely uh, in tune to going back and, and starting to see some live bands again, for sure. It's right? just around the corner. Live music is coming back as we speak. Uh, Drew Voris is editor-in-chief of ETF.com. Thank you so much for joining us on The Sound of Success. Thank you, Nick. It's been a guilty pleasure. <laughs> Fabulous. Thanks for listening. The Sound of Success is produced by Elizabeth Thompson with myself, Nick Harcourt, for Spark Network. Our theme music is by Keita Klain. For more episodes, find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and at sparknetwork.com.